Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to a special episode of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. You're special. <laughs> See? It doesn't take long to get back into the old habits, does it, eh? <laughs> our guest is special. Our guest is special. Uh, before we introduce our special guest, uh, the reason why we're doing this today is because our special guest, who's been extremely loyal to us from day one, uh, has released a new book. And that's something we want to celebrate and tell you about. So that's why we're back here. Um, Just to update you, a couple of things that have uh, happened with us in our private life. We've now moved. We no longer live in Monmouth. We've moved further south, chasing the sun. Uh, He says looking outside at grey. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Hasn't worked. (laughs) And um, just in case you hear any noise in the background, our little four-legged friend, not Bryce, uh, the dog... (laughs) Um, is currently uh, wearing the cone of shame after having uh, an operation to have part of her tail amputated, unfortunately. So we've got to be really careful with her and we've got to try not to wind her up because she'll shake her tail and then be in all kinds of trouble. So if you do hear any banging about in the background, it's probably Bella, but it may also be the dog banging into things with her cone. So apologize for that. Yeah, she's definitely not graceful. No. She is my daughter. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, without further ado, uh, please welcome to the show our very special guest, Ruth Roper-Wild. Hi, everybody. Hi, Shelley and Bella. Hi, Ruth. Hey, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. It's Halloween coming up. Best time for the authors like me who write about ghosts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think you, you released this just in time. You had to have had that planned. I did, to be honest. It was my absolute goal to make sure it got out in time for Halloween, and I, I managed to get, to get it out at the beginning of October. So, phew, just well, in time. It's, it's definitely a good read for Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone wants to get any, you know, any of their friends any Halloween gifts or whatever, this is definitely uh, definitely one to consider. This book that we're talking about is the Roadmap of British Ghosts, Volume Two. Volume two. Who would have believed it, eh? Well, it is. It is a volume. It is a volume because um, do you know how many um, how many uh, counties and and everything you've got covered in here, or how many stories? Do you know? I've never actually counted by story. I think I've covered all the counties. So possibly. I can, I think there might be one or two have, that haven't been in there. I can tell um, you that you covered three hundred and fifty odd pages. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you that you actually cover 35 English counties. And then you've got a section on Scotland and Wales. Not that I've done my research or anything. (laughs) It's uh, that's quite impressive. I didn't realise that there were that many British counties, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just English counties. Because like I said, you then cover Scotland and Wales on top of that. So um, I think you you did a great job of compiling lots and lots of different stories here. Um, 
we've of course got our lovely signed copy from you which uh which which is lovely thank you very much and and i have to say before um before we sort of get into the book um you know obviously uh it's painful so i don't want to you know you, you don't have to sort of go into details or anything but i just wanted to say that the the dedication that you put in there for uh, your nephew josh um was beautiful um and uh just just want to send our love to you for that Ah, oh, thank you so much um so looking at the stories um do you know what every time you come on this show i give you probably and bella um questions that you probably never get on on any other podcast so just be mindful that some of those are going to be coming up okay because <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you you to, just like to keep me on my toes don't you exactly this is your warning yeah 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 <laughs> so um but yeah we, we are going to get deep 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 uh but first of all looking at some of the stories here um in anglesey in wales this was quite an interesting one i thought this this particular one and it was about a dog um not wanting to walk down a, a particular lane. Do you want to just give the outline of that set? You tell the story much better than I could. So this is the lane by the um, Priory Clinic, isn't it? Correct. That you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'd come across um, just a little tiny uh, snippet somewhere or other that said about um, this... Uh, tiny lane and then a lady wrote to me about it um to say that she lives in it's in hollyhead um and the lane is next to where the priory clinic used to be which now been knocked down and there's new houses have been built where it used to be um but it was one of those little tiny pedestrian lanes that sort of went in between two houses and then ran along the backs of the gardens of the houses do you know the sort of thing i mean yeah like coronation Uh, street like a what, sorry? Like on Coronation Street, you know, where they've got that back yes. lane that goes in between the houses? Yes, exactly like that. Um, so if you can imagine, um, because it went along behind the gardens and sort of following the lines of property boundaries and building corners, there were some strange right-angled turns on it, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Um, and this lady had told me that the local rumour was that there was the figure of a nun haunting this lane from when an actual priory had stood here, you know, whatever, in many centuries past probably. And that was the echo sort of in the name of the priory clinic that then stood there. And she said that her dog would never walk along that lane, even from a tiny puppy. He'd just freeze and stand still and just refuse to go any further. And she wrote to me in 2020, and by now the puppy was a 10-year-old, um, and he was still refusing to walk down this lane. So 10 years, this dog has been refusing to go down this lane. And she resorts to picking the dog up and carrying him. past the bit that frightens him. And she'd found another dog walker that she'd sort of got chatting to who said that her dog reacted the same. So, of course, I did what I always do with my books and went out on social media um, to see if I could find any sort of correlations or anything. Um, and one chap told me that he'd grown up in that area Um, And although he'd never himself had any experiences, both his mum and his sister had. Um, He he remembered hearing stories that the area was haunted by a monk. So that's interesting that he'd heard it was a monk as opposed to a nun. 
But what his mother had seen was a woman and child dressed in Victorian style clothing walking down Richmond Hill, which is one of the roads that the lane pops out onto um, before just disappearing right in front of her. And she'd seen this apparition of these two um, ghosts, the, the woman and the child. She'd seen them once in 2018 and then again in 2020. So these were really, really recent sightings at the point that I was researching and, and you know, contacted me. Um, and then another lady got in touch with me to say that her father had seen a tall gentleman in Victorian clothing standing under a lamppost on Richmond Hill um, and tapping on the ground with his walking stick as if he was waiting for something. And that sighting was in the 1970s when her father used to be a train driver. Um, then somebody else jumped in on that conversation and said that she was sure she'd seen the same figure, but he'd been walking inside the building at a nearby school mm. and that she'd heard he'd also been seen on nearby London ro Road. So we're moving from a possible nun to a possible monk to... Victorian woman and child, Victorian gentleman. Um, and then another lady got in touch with me and said that she remembered walking past this lane, past the edge of Priory Clinic on her way to school years and years and years ago. Um, and one day she saw a lady, lady walking ahead of her who was wearing a long grey coloured dress. Um and she sort of walked up behind this lady. When she got to the point where she should still have been able to see her ahead, the lady had just disappeared. Hmm. Um, and then another chap got, I mean, this is one of these ones that I absolutely love because the correlations were just coming in thick and fast for it. Um, another um, chap got in touch with me and said that when he was a kid, the, the clinic was already out of use. Um and was standing there as a closed building sort of falling into disrepair. And you know how kids just cannot resist a closed up building or a building site, can they? No. Um, we all did it as kids, didn't we? If there was a building site nearby or a, an empty house, we were on it like flies on jam. Um, and as per most kids, him and his group of friends used to play there. And he said there used to be a big double garage at the back of the property um, where they used to store uh, various bits and pieces um and him and his friends were messing about by this garage and managed to get it open trying to explore of course um when they opened the garage door they found a lady standing inside it in old-fashioned dress as he described it <laughs> wow <laughs> not surprisingly a group of very terrified lads scarpering off down the lane as you can imagine um I mean, I just can't imagine what that must have been like to open a disused garage door and find a ghost standing there looking at you. Um, and they weren't expecting it. They didn't, you know, they weren't out. They were just out being kids playing sort of thing. Um, and what? they were sure that that was the garage where the ambulances used to be parked. And sure enough, um, one of the ambulance men who used to work there got in touch with me. And said he'd never heard anything about the lane itself that I that I was originally asking about, but people used to say that the cl the clinic was haunted. So it seems like the whole of this area where this, uh, presumably where this priory once stood, has got all these different hauntings going on, 
or the same entity presenting itself in different ways or however you want to look at that. But it certainly is more than strange. I was um, I was going to say that I, to you in terms of interpreting it in different ways. How, it, it, while looking at all of the cases that you've looked at, and we're, we're probably in the realms of hundreds now, um, have you ever found an incident where there was something that was witnessed by multiple people at the same time, yet their evidence varies of what it was they actually saw? The one that springs to mind for that, which had multiple witnesses at the same time, um, and I can't remember which book it was in. It wasn't this one. Uh, no, I can't remember. I'd have to go and look at my database to see which book it was in. But there was two cars heading towards each other down a road. And they both screeched to a halt sort of simultaneously and got out because both of them had seen a figure cross the road and had screeched to avoid hitting it. But when they sort of like, the figure had disappeared and of course the two drivers sort of got out their cars going, what the hell happened there, as you would. And when they sort of talked to each other, one had seen the figure going one way across the road and the other had seen the figure going the other way across the road, but at the same moment. Wow. So so it could be, like you said, then going back to this, these cases at the Priory, uh, could well be that they are, are all seeing the same entity, but, you know, sort of uh, interpreting it in different ways. Or or maybe the entity is is forcing them to interpret it in a different way, you know? so Well, I, yeah, I sometimes wonder that, you know, with all the research I've done, you know, is it is it a case that this is an area that is just for some reason, I don't know, the veil is thinner? as they like to say, between, you know, the world of the living and the dead? Is the veil thinner between um, us and another time zone? You know, is it just a time slip area? Or have you got some sort of entity that is somehow mischievous and just presents itself in different ways? And really, when you think about it, you could make a case for any of that being true, couldn't you? When you've got multiple sightings in one spot, you know, multiple as in lots of different things being seen it, yeah, it could absolutely. be any of those really couldn't it it could be lots of different apparitions because the veil is thin so going, it could be a thinning between time zones so you're getting glimpses into other time zones or it could be one entity that's you know some kind of elemental or something that presents itself differently each time a long time ago on one of the podcasts, I can't remember which one it was, we mentioned we were talking about something similar to this and it was the orbs that came up. You know, people see orbs, other people don't. And I kind of was thinking to myself, what if the reason you see an orb is because what it actually is, your mind can't necessarily interpret that? You know, and so you can see something. I I could honestly see that. Yeah, I could could see that that as being something that could happen, that what you're seeing there, the people who see orbs with their own naked eye, is that they're seeing the actual manifestation of energy. But not other people. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you've, you know, old fairy stories. They used to talk, didn't they, about fairies being able to put on a glamour. So a fairy could sort of 
shield itself if you like by putting a different appearance on yeah um you know which was just an illusion yeah, these days um, they call it beer goggles yes <laughs> they can, they could yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah i've had those once or twice in my life has to be said um, <laughs> um but is it but but is there an entity that can do that that in its naked form, if you like, all you can make out is the ball of energy. But when it puts the glamour on, you you get to see, you know, whatever glamour it's projecting at that moment. Is that what's happening? I don't know. So the old Willow the Wisp. Fascinating thought. Do you remember that Willow the Wisp? Yes. Yeah, similar sort of thing, isn't it? You know, just, yeah, just yeah, very. So some some of the cases around the priory, like you said, have got um, you know, there's lots and lots of people. What I found was really interesting is there's lots and lots of people that have got lots of different stories. They're all they're all paranormal, you know, e- even if they interpret them slightly differently, um, or or even if they are interpreted slightly differently, should I say? Um, But one of the other things I found quite interesting was the fact that you said that there was a guy there that has been living there all his life and who'd never seen anything. And he lives right on the boundaries of of the Priory itself. And to me, that is just as as important and just as telling as all of these other cases where people are seeing stuff. Because, you know, it, it opens up that whole Pandora's box, doesn't it? As to, you know, do... Are certain people, for want of a better word, chosen to see these things? Or are certain people just more sensitive to it? Um, do they have the ability through some kind of um, evolution to be able to see it um, a little bit more? Um, I, I often wonder, there are certain people that can see ghosts and certain people that can't. And there are people that I've lost in my past that I would love to see them and yet I I have encountered a ghost in my life and so then it makes you wonder well if certain people can see ghosts and certain people can't maybe some people can be ghosts but other people can't what's your opinion on that well it's interesting to go back to the start of that thought about including the people who didn't see it um and I, I always feel it's really important to say that when I've had somebody say it to me, because as we've talked about before, my methodology when researching for the ghost is to start with a, a first story that I've picked up somewhere or somebody's told me or whatever, and then go out on social media and try and find people that have seen or experienced something in that same location. And what tends to happen is people get chatting on the social media about it some of them will then go so far as to correspond with me individually and then i'll get their full story some people i'll just get snippets from because all they do is respond on the social media um or i get no responses at all you know the post just sits there unanswered sort of thing or i get people that say well i've been in the village or in that part you know and i've never seen anything and i actually think it's always really important to include those because that's part of data gathering, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, that's that's the that's the negative experience is still part of the data set because it shows that exactly as you've just described, either the haunting is only happening every now and then rather than all the time, um, or you've got some people who are 
susceptible seeing it and some people who aren't and like this chap you've described in for this particular location in hollyhead he's lived on that border that lane for his whole life so you would have thought there would have been ample opportunity in terms of the amount of time he spent around that location for him to have bumped into something if there was something for him to bump into so is it that he is not receptive in some way or not able to receive in some way the experience that other people perhaps are and i don't know whether that's something to do with you know are people open to seeing ghosts or not but you see it just in ordinary life if you, you know i used to do a lot of shooting and if you're sitting in a field and you watch people walk through the field and you're sitting very quietly I've watched people out walking with dogs and so on walk straight past a hare that was hunkered down in the grass or have a fox trot across behind them and they never notice it Mm. because they weren't thinking about looking for wildlife, if you know what I mean. So does the same apply to people who go through their normal daily life without thinking about the paranormal? You know, do the in the case of this gentleman, for instance, you know, how many times did he walk? down that lane perhaps or past the lane and maybe something darted along behind him and he just didn't notice or you know was hunkered down in the corner and he just didn't pay any attention um or is it that even if it stood right in front of him would he still not be able to see it and i think it'd be really interesting and i can't honestly think of many i've had a few and it's usually when people have been driving cars where one sees the apparition and the other doesn't um, but I haven't got any, I don't think, where the apparition has literally been right in front of somebody and one sees them and one doesn't. Because I think that would be the ultimate proof, wouldn't it? Yeah. If you found an account where you were literally both standing, staring at the same spot at the same moment and one saw something and one didn't. Yeah, I Because the so. trouble with, you know, a driver and a passenger in a car and one saying, you know i've got several accounts for instance where the the driver suddenly breaks violently because they've seen a person step out in front of the road the passenger hadn't seen anything or the other way around where the passenger screams stop 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 sort of thing and the the driver's going what because they haven't seen anything but that could just be to because they're both you know they're driving in a moving vehicle you could explain that away as one's attention was just slightly in one direction and the others were slightly in the other and because these things are so quick and quite ephemeral very often they just missed it rather than they couldn't see it if you know what i mean um so it would be really interesting to get an account where people were literally staring at the same spot and you knew for sure they were staring at the same spot where one saw it and one didn't because that would give better data as to whether that's something about people who can and can't see it I suppose but having that... just said all that, I do think you can attune yourself to looking harder for the paranormal. And if you think about wildlife photographers, to go back to wildlife as an analogy, when you first start doing wildlife photography, it'll take you ages to spot the bird or the cheetah or the whatever it is you're trying to photograph. But an experienced wildlife photographer will know where to go, where to hunker down, how to be still and how to watch for that subtle little movement in the grass that tells him something's there and then watch it and then get that shot of the cheetah or the bird or whatever it might be. And I wonder if the paranormal's the same, that you just kind of have to attune the way you're looking at the world in order to spot it. 
That's a really good analogy, actually. Um, I was just going to say then that, you know, maybe, you know, if, if mediums are to be believed, uh, you know, if you've got a specifically good medium that's gone through lots of testing and, and proved that they can do what they can do, you know, very often you'll speak to them and they'll say, I see a so-and-so person, you know, wearing a blah, blah, blah. Um, and in that case, you've got someone who has trained themselves potentially or, or has been born with that gift or whatever uh, in the same location as someone who can't see a thing. So maybe it does happen more than we more than we know. Yeah, and maybe people just, you know, aren't noticing because it's quite a quick there aren't that many sightings that last more than a few seconds when you think about it. Mm. So it would be quite easy to miss it, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There, there was another, there was another one in Hollyhead that uh, blew my mind, and pun intended. Um, and this is about uh, a chap who, as a kid, was with a group of children in a field when they found uh, an explosive device. Do you wanna? Do you want to tell people about that? Because th- this is just r- ridiculous. Yeah, this... Um, was that Hollyhead? Yes. Okay. Um, so if I remember rightly, you might have to prompt me on this because it's a little while since I wrote about it. Um, if I remember rightly, when he was a kid, they'd been playing in this field Um which was sort of quite a flat open field, you know, that you could see see in loads of directions at once. And they'd found um, a piece of ordnance, like World War II ordnance. I think this was back in the 1970s, if I remember rightly. And unfortunately, it had exploded and one of the children was killed. So obviously, you know, absolutely horrific. Um. And the gentleman who was one of the survivors had avoided the spot for the rest of his life until eventually, as as an old man, he decided to go back to the spot. I think he was visiting or something, decided to go back to the spot anyway um, and just to sort of pay his respects, as it were. And he saw himself and the other lads out in the field playing as if he was, I mean, actually saw them, not imagined it, not, you know, sort of glimpsed it. But actually saw that saw them playing, that, as so, they had been moments before. So it was almost like he was looking at something playing back, or you know whether the ghost of his friend, childhood friend, had brought the scene back or whatever. But he but saw yeah, himself. He actually seen it. He saw himself. That's the crazy. To me, that is absolutely. That's the only story I've ever heard of someone seeing themselves as a ghost to all intents and purposes yeah or as a time slip at the very least yeah it wasn't hollyhead i've just gone through through um the hollyhead stories in the book as you was as you were saying that um i i can't remember where i got it from (laughs) so get the book people and find where this story is you'll come across it but it is absolutely that that to me has to be the story of the book in in it's i've remembered where it is it was the cob which is just outside hollyhead where the 
expressway is by uh, the causeway. Okay, yes. Which is which is like this open marshy fieldy area. Um Yeah, that is that that like I said, uh, I don't want to sort of like harbour on that, but the idea that you would see yourself it, you we've spoken before on shows about the whole um uh stone tape theory, you know, where the environment absorbs the energy from a you know a highly charged emotional uh experience and yes. you know it could well be you know evidence that that's at play again um i'd love to yeah. know what his reaction was at that point whether he just stood there dumbfounded you know some people may say that actually it was such a horrific event um that actually was he seeing something or was he just reliving it you know, like like PTSD. Well, like PTSD almost, mm. yeah. Um, I mean, yes, maybe it was, but uh, he, he certainly he certainly thought he was seeing, actually seeing the boys there playing in the field. You know, physically seeing them as opposed to seeing them in memory. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah, it it does it does make you think about that whole. If it was stone tape theory, did it replay because, in effect, his presence was the correct trigger mm. to make it replay? Yeah, maybe it maybe um, it borrowed some of his actual energy at that point to be able to replay. Yeah, like an energy match or something. Yeah, you know, it needed a a certain energy match before it would replay or something. It, it's a, you can just go, go down endless rabbit holes trying to think about it, can't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the problem. We read the book, and we've got so many different stories. You read it, and then the two of us go, well, I wonder if it's this or it's that. Or, you know, you do take a long time to read the book because you got to read it and then stop so you can talk about it to see if... <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the cracking thing about Halloween, though, isn't it? Halloween is all about sitting down telling stories with each other and... And you know these these sort of spooky tales. This is why this book is is so great because you know uh, even if even if people haven't got this book yet and they've got your previous volume, maybe sit down on Halloween with each other, you know, in a room in a candlelit room or something, and read these stories to each other. It will provoke this this conversation. And um, you know, th there's a there's a strong belief that we've said it before, haven't we? That the more you look into it, the more it looks back at you. The more the more yeah. energy you give this subject, the more maybe open you become to it. Maybe it's like what you said earlier, that, that you kind of open yourself to something a little bit more. So I'm a big advocate about talking about these kind of things. I think it's a really good idea because one of my whole purposes for writing the books is to be the person who gathers the data and puts it down for posterity in the hope that at some point in time, somebody much more intelligent than me will come along and figure it all out and be able to give the definitive answer or answers, as I'm beginning to suspect it will be, multiple answers, um, as to just what a haunting is. Um, and the only way that's going to happen, if people do exactly what you're describing, that you know they read what I've, I've written about, and have those discussions and have that wide ranging, less bad about some ideas. Let's think about 
how could that be what could have caused that is there a way of debunking that or are we left with, with something that you know there's no normal explanation for in that case what explanation do we look for and and can we put any of these jigsaw pieces together and make an actual coherent puzzle out of it that gives us the answer because yeah. that would be you know that would be my my absolute dream if somebody was able to use all the data that I and others you know there's lots of other people doing the research as well and, and putting things down and gather all that data and actually be able to come up and answer with you know that'd be just brilliant yeah the good thing about having it down and, and journalizing it the way you are in this in this book is that you know this is going to be around in a hundred years you know it might be you know it might be a digital copy somewhere that someone downloads or or whatever but it's going to be available in a hundred years for future people when more evidence comes along to be able to say okay we have a list of locations here i mean there's there's one that you talk about in raglan which is right near us and um uh the the witness actually gave you coordinates google map coordinates or or not google map coordinates coordinates that you can put into like google maps or or whatever gps system you use and i actually looked that up once we'd we'd um read that particular uh story and i've been down that road on my motorbike it's it's a brilliant motorbike um route the road that you talk about there the old chepstow road from raglan yes um yeah. and um it's really interesting to, you know, like I said, these future scientists, if if they suddenly say, actually, yeah, we found a way that we can detect ghosts now. They they register on this particular machine and we can see them on an oscilloscope or whatever. You've now produced a list of locations and in a lot of cases, times and dates and, and that sort of stuff that it could be used later on, couldn't it? Yeah, and actually that... that introduces another really important point is one of the things I always do with my research is I often find that the location of the ghost is wrongly recorded elsewhere so at some point in time somebody's first written about whichever particular apparition it might be and somewhere along the line somebody's picked up on that and it's and it's done what so often happens other books other articles other authors endlessly repeat the story and in doing so they've got the location slightly wrong mm. um so that the the now popular version if you like is actually in the wrong place and it's and when i do my research and start looking into it i i pick up quite a few of those and i i correct the location in my books and say no you know this is this is what everybody else has said but when you look into it and delve into it properly and have a proper look at it, the actual location is not X, but Y, you know, and in some cases, cases that, in fact, one case, in, I think that's in Roadmap Volume 1, that actually moves the ghost by about 30 or 40 miles. Wow. Um, most of them, it moves them, you know, by maybe a street or two or, um, you know, sort of fairly close to, but not where people were saying um but there's one actually in this book in um roadmap two that moves it oh a good 10 15 miles away i would think i'd have to look at a map to look at it it's, it's you know it's the difference between where alpenbury is and where huntingdon are however far apart they are 
um, and it keeps getting listed as being at Alconbury, and it's not. It's at Huntingdon. Yeah. Um, and it's just because people pick up and then inaccurately report it going forward. And I always try to correct that. And like you say, this particular chap did send me the actual coordinates, so I've put them in the book. Because for exactly that reason, that means anybody else can now program those coordinates into their phone, into you know, sat nav, whatever, and go and stand in that spot and see whether that records anything, like you say, on any equipment they're carrying, or if they just take photos, or maybe try to get an EVP or something. Would anything happen? You know, well, the there's electronic voice phenomena for anybody that isn't sure there's Um, apps these days like what three words so you don't even have to be sort of technically minded to be able to actually you know go delve into the coordinates of exactly where you are or whatever apps like what three words you know you can just put it on your phone and it will give you your location down to a meter square so you know going forward if anyone has got any more any more stories that they want to send Ruth or whatever, then maybe think about including something like that, even if you don't have the the knowledge to get the the actual latitude, longitude, etc. That's a really good idea because what three words, like you just say, it, it gives, um, you know, a metre square, gives every metre square its own specific identity. Um, and it's, a, it, I mean, it's a really handy app to have on your phone anyway, even if you're not paranormal um hunting because you can use it to meet friends at concerts or you know in town centers or anything because they they can give you the meter square they're physically standing on um so it is really handy but it'd be really good if people did do that and sent me locations as precise as that um because that really would help me when i'm clearing up these misconceptions you Mm. know yeah definitely so my, one of the stories I really liked in the book was about the um, white woman lane. In, oh, in Norwich. Yeah, that is so weird because it's like, what came first there? The name of the road? Or the Yes, or the name woman. of the ghost, yes. <laughs> and and that is, that's, that is an interesting... Um, what's the right word dichotomy that isn't it when you think about it um because i couldn't find um i couldn't find how old the name of that lane was Mm. um it's quite obvious from the story and the the myth of the white woman along that lane and it's a typical white woman yeah the white lady so for for anybody who doesn't know about white women ghosts essentially they they pop up all over the world stories about white lady ghosts and there's always the same sort of common element which is something to do with either being jilted at the altar or unrequited in love or rejected in love so all about a woman scorned type story one way or another um who then is left uh you know who then tragically dies because of being rejected or whatever and is then left haunting the area and she becomes either a harbinger of doom or in quite a lot of cases will actually be the cause of doom by leading people to their death or you know jumping out in front of their cars whatever it might be so the white woman's stories always follow that same sort of basic tenet with you know various uh, sort of embellishes 
depending on where it is. And this one at Norwich along White Woman Lane, her ghost is very much follows that, you know, that the myth about her ghost very much follows that tenet. Um, so various uh, original versions of the myths that are found. So one says um, that she was the daughter of a local squire who fell in love with one of his coachmen. And of course, that was, you know, very taboo because they were of different social stations. Um, um, one story says that her father threw the coachman out, you know, sort of like dis- dismissed him from his post and banned him from coming by again. Um, so as the coachman went to leave, she ran after him, but slipped and fell under the wheels of the coach and got killed. Um, in another version, her dad refused to let them marry, so she pined away and, and died from a broken heart. Um, another version uh, says it was somebody who died on the eve of her wedding. So you can see they all follow this same basic theme as to why you end up with this white woman ghost. Um, and whatever the original story this white woman is always seen in a long flowing white dress and often with a garland of flowers around her head. Um, one set of people who've seen us actually saw her with a scarf around her head rather than flowers. Um, and when they got up to her, they re- realized there was no face underneath the scarf, which would be enough to freak you out completely. Yeah. Um, so if you didn't have a clue before then, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's going to pretty much give it away. But like you say, because I couldn't, I couldn't find how old the name of the lane was. You know, has that only been called that for a couple hundred years? Because normally white woman tales are older than that, and and stay in an area going down through the centuries, or whether it got named because there was a white woman ghost there. Yeah, I don't know. So anybody in Norwich who's got the time to really, really delve around in your local historical records and see how far back that name goes. That would be a big help. It's interesting either way, isn't it, really, when you think about it? Because if the name was adopted because of the sightings there, then it's pretty cool of the council or, you know, the the local authority to, uh, whenever whenever that happened, to actually believe it enough or appreciate the story enough to give the road that name um and if it's the other way around if actually um the name existed first did the ghost say i'm looking for somewhere to haunt uh white woman yeah that fits me you know (laughs) oh that would suit me there that that sounds like a great place yeah they're looking on that never thought of that (laughs) they're looking on that ghostly gps you know yeah that's amazing it's interesting you know because there are a lot of um lanes and streets and roads around england and so on that are named for either witches or ghosts or what have you so i mean just springing to mind in hertfordshire there's sally deard's lane that's supposed to be named after a witch and so on so i think some of these you know road names are very very old and it was before the time of councils choosing what names a road got you know the locally that was the name the road got and it's been handed down word of mouth all the years until it was properly adopted by a council if you know what i mean who then keep the name uh, because that's what the name everybody knows it by 
There's, there uh, are some, talking about names, by the way, there are some fantastic names of towns in in this book. Um, spring to mind, Wet Wang. Um, oh, I love Wet Wang. Yeah. Wigglesworth. I, mean, I thought that was a good name. Yeah, yeah. W- Wigglesworth and Tossside. You know, I think those, those um, cracking names, absolutely. You only hear names like that in this country. I, I quite like Troy Town as well. Troy Town, like that. That's in this one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't sound real, do they? <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. Um, I still want to find a ghost. There's a, vill- there's a village I pass sometimes when I'm driving down to see friends in Devon. Um, well, I, I pass the sign posts for it called Ready Token. Ready <laughs> and that token. one always makes me chuckle. I'm determined to find a ghost there at some point, just so I can put it in a book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was looking at uh, Northumberland as well. It's funny because you can either read this book sort of chronologically, you know, start to finish, or you can do what I tend to do, which is you have a look in the back where you've got a list of all of the counties and you go, oh, I've been there. Um, And you read the story that relates to somewhere that you can picture, you know, somewhere that you've been. And I've been... I've worked all over the country um, doing my job, and so there are there are quite a few of these places that I've I can actually um, you know sort of I have a a, a memory or a recollection from. Um, but I did look up Northumberland because my daughter is now living in Northumberland, and there was a, a cracking story there, um, which was the A one nine seven Woodhorn to Newbiggin by Sea. Not somewhere I've been, um, but the interesting story there was it was about a miner um, who was riding a squeaky bicycle. Do you want, do you recall that one? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I, I mean that. I just I love that. I love that extra detail in that because that's that's the thing that any time that you look it up, you you get this detail of, of the squeaky bicycle. Um, you know, and that seems to be the thing that people have picked up on most that whenever this ghost is seen. He's riding this old rusty looking bicycle and it actually makes a squeaky noise as he goes past, which I just think is fabulous. Um, but he's usually seen wearing, you know, sort of proper old fashioned miners type clothes, cap, big heavy work boots. Um, and apparently he's been seen on a lot of occasions. But some people have said that apparently when you get up close, his face looks more like just a skull. Looks like which what? do my thing um looks like a skull his face is rotting sorry interestingly there was a the church there that's allegedly haunted by a soldier whose name is tom so i often wonder whether it's getting mixed up but yeah or it could just be two separate ghosts um but yes a squeaky bicycle i mean that's can you imagine walking down that lane and hearing it squeak up behind you and thinking oh god no I don't want to turn around. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine being a ghost that's been around for, uh, you know, hundreds of years, still looking for that can of WD forty. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we find a, we should be leaving them out for yeah. them or something. <laughs> yeah. No. It's like uh, like the Tin Man in uh, Wizard of Oz. <laughs> well, I was thinking there. You're talking about that major that's seen at the um, at the church, and you know, again. You know, uh, is it the same haunting being interpreted by different people? You know, my I 
I kind of hope that it's not. I kind of hope that there are more than one, you know, more than one of these ghosts in the area. This this land that we're on has been around for thousands of years. There has to be, you know, more, you know, um, more spirits around uh, inhabiting it than just the odd one or two. And when you think about, people always say, you know, where's the ghosts of the dinosaurs and all that sort of stuff. But where's the ghosts of the billions and billions and billions of people that have been lost over the centuries? You know, we should be absolutely inundated with them. Well, that, again, that all comes back to, it depends what it turns out a ghost actually is, doesn't it? Because yeah. if you take the premise that a ghost is can only be the apparition of somebody who has been living, then yes, you'd, you'd think that therefore everybody that's died will be able to produce a ghost. Um, but if if there's lots of different explanations for what an apparition is, then that then you realise that not everybody that dies would necessarily then be seen as an apparition. Yeah. Because if, you know, if sometimes it's stone tape theory, if sometimes it's an elemental, if sometimes it's time slip, if sometimes it is the spirit of a dead person, um, if sometimes it's, uh, you know, some kind of reflective occurrence or something, then there's different reasons. And, and that means that not everybody would produce a ghost, if you like, just by the physical act of dying. Mm. Well, there's a new theory. I don't know if you've heard about this. Uh, I've been dying to discuss this with you. Right. Are you sitting down comfortably? I'm sitting comfortably. Right. Okay. Hit me. Okay. So there's, you've heard about quantum theory, yeah? And yeah. the idea that there's parallel universes um, and we are, um, there's, you know, millions of us living out our lives with lots of different scenarios. Okay? Yeah. One theory now is that when we die, um, our soul goes off and inhabits the body, if you like, of one of our other um, incarnations uh, and we carry on on a different timeline. So if you think about it, we chose... Okay, we walk up to a road, we turn left, okay? There will yeah. be, according to this quantum theory, another universe where we walked up to that road and we turned right. So this theory would say that when you turn left, your soul continues with you on that left road. But the entity that turned right, that is in this other universe, doesn't carry the soul with it. It is almost like... A, a robot, if you like, just continuing on going through the motions of all of the choices you didn't make. Yeah? So that would mean that you would end up with thousands and thousands of versions of yourself, wouldn't it? Correct. So when you've got things like ghosts, when we see ghosts, are we seeing suddenly an incarnation uh, or sorry, a soul that is is 
how can I put it? We talked about dimensions and the fact that, you know, um, when we see a ghost, are we actually the the bridge to that dimension is is thinner or, or narrower? Okay. So are we actually at that point crossing paths with a uh, an entity which does have a soul in another dimension. So all of the other times we're going down a road and we don't see a ghost, it's because actually in the other dimensions, the person walking down that road that's still close to us, yeah, the other, that dimension that's still close to us, just isn't isn't an entity that is in that is inhabited by the soul. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, that's uh, that's a really interesting. I mean, how would my first thought would be how would the other entity that doesn't have a soul that isn't carrying the soul how do they carry on existing and and making choices and to all intents and purposes living but without a soul in them i don't know but again do you remember we spoke about that um spooky action at a distance the idea that um you can take a photon you can split yeah. it. You can take out the neutrinos from from the photons. You can take one neutrino to, to Mars, and you can have the other neutrino here in Earth. If if you um, agitated the neutrino you've got in your hand, the one in Mar on Mars, you know, will suddenly start acting in the same way. It will be affected in the same way without any discernible time difference. So maybe the other entities the other incarnations are still tied to us and do still react the way we would react but they're just not fully inhabited or maybe what happens when we're seeing an apparition is that one of our um neutrinos or atoms or whatever was actually a part of that person mm. way back when mm. and as we pass a point where the atoms through time because one of the current theories isn't it is that time is not linear the way we perceive it mm -hmm. um are the atoms reaching across time and seeing each other as we pass that spot yeah so for a moment you see where the other half of one of your atoms was which is happens to be in a victorian lady or a coach and horses or you know whatever it is you're seeing and just for a moment it's the fact that as there's a resonation between atoms, even though it's across time. And that may explain why some people are seeing it and some people aren't, or I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, I thought that when I read that, it actually, it answered some of the queries as to where does the soul go, right? Okay, well, there we, there we go. We've got it. It goes to another version of us that's on a different timeline. So we, so our soul continues to exist, but in a different dimension. Some people may call that dimension heaven. Other people may say, well, actually, that dimension is just you on a different, in a different set of circumstances. I turned right at the road instead of turning left. Um, I just thought that was, that was, um, that was cracking. And as, and as many questions that that sort of answers, it brings up a whole load more. It really does, doesn't it? Because it gets that whole... I mean, we've spoken before, obviously, loads of times. And, you know, I've said before, I'm not religious. I'm atheist. Um, you know, so I don't I don't believe in a, a higher entity or anything. But the one thing that seems really clear in my 
admittedly very limited um, scientific knowledge is that whatever it is that causes us to live and breathe and be a being and trees and animals and insects and all the rest of it there's no they haven't yet determined what the difference is between why something lives and why something doesn't have they no so you know you you could create in a lab a set of lungs and a heart and and some veins and and you could connect them all together and you could pump blood around it and you could pump oxygen but it wouldn't live it wouldn't suddenly wake up and start start living by itself so there's some other extra spark um that that creates life somehow and and that's the thing that i'm quite happy to call it a soul as any other name and when we die you know they my again very limited scientific understanding is you can't get rid of energy and we know we've got electricity inside us because we know that's how the brain works with its synapses and so on is that where the soul resides if you want to call that spark of living if you like where does that go Mm. because that's and that's when you get the whole well there must be there must be somewhere that this goes somehow and is how does that tie into what people are seeing as the paranormal and why do some people see it and others not or why do some locations seem to be so rife with all sorts of paranormal activity and other locations as dead as a doornail if you like mm. yeah you know and you can honestly you can take yourself down these rabbit holes for hours if you get reading one of my books <laughs> yeah well which which you know these questions uh, the questions that we've discussed today um, have all come from reading this, and it is a fantastic read. Um, you know, as all your books, it's incredibly well written. Um, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. One of the things I like about your books is that you don't embellish upon the story. You know, you tell a story as it's been told to you. Um, and I think that that is, you know, that's really scientifically what we need. We need someone to just recount the stories as they were told. You know, there's, there's room for opinion. Of course there is. But the opinion shouldn't change the original story. Um, and I think you've got that balance absolutely right. Um, I did notice that you are looking for some information on Wick Beacon near the a424 is that correct yes do you want to um so wick beacon uh which county is wick beacon in i can't remember is it this was this was actually what you sent me you actually sent me in the that you were looking for information about that in in the email correspondence that we had ah yes 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 because there's all sorts of stories from up there um so if you know if anybody's got anything from up there that's what I, you know I, i'm forever looking for can i find a correlation for a, a particular area um can i find uh anybody else who's seen it and so on and so on and wick beacon is one particular area that's i've got interest in at the moment um and i need to know whether or not anybody's seen anything up there 
So again, I like how how kind of candid you you are because you're not saying I've heard a story of a white lady um, about Wick Beacon. Has anyone got any stories about that? Because you're going to get people coming out who you know best will in the world. This is just human nature. Some people will do it. They'll go, oh, I've got a story about a white lady, and then they'll tell you something maybe that's not entirely true or whatever. You're not saying that. You're saying, can I? If you've got a story. Um, you know, from that area, let me know what it was. And then if you find stories that match and correlate with each other, then great. But you also are not discounting other stories that may, you know, that may be heard in that area. That That is actually really important to me that I don't inadvertently influ- influence what people either want to say to me um, or make them think back on a memory and and subconsciously not meaning to kind of twist it to fit what I'm asking for if you know what I mean because having spent most of my career as we've talked about before in some kind of investigative work or another you learn a lot about witness recollection and so on and about asking open questions not leading questions etc etc because it's really important that if I'm going to gather data about a location that I gather all the paranormal data about that location. So ostensibly, you know, all my books are about ghosts, but you'll find that actually there'll be mentions of cryptids in there, um, something that you could class as UFOs, something that you could class um, as uh, boggart or elemental or whatever. Because if it happened in the location I'm interested in, I'll mention it as well. Because to me... I think it's all going to be valid when we when we do that whole bit that we're talking about, about somebody working out what is causing all of this. Because, I mean, you know, to take something like the Loch Ness Monster, for example, if if I'm writing out on social media and I know there's a story of a, a I don't know, a headless monk or something walking down this particular roadside next to a lake, I want to know if somebody's actually seen some big monster lumbering out of the lake and crossing the road there or a weird light hovering over the road there or a strange gray mist or whatever it might be. And I don't want them to think, Oh, she's asking about headless monks. So I won't tell her about the strange mist I saw down there. Cause that's not what she's asking for. Um, I want people's own recollections about particular areas. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wick Beacon, by the way, is Cheltenham. Ah, Cheltenham. Yeah. That'd be Gloucestershire then. That'd be Gloucestershire. Yeah. There we go. Uh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was just actually looking um, through um, your book here. Um, there is. Can I read the bit you've put in here about Wick Beacon? Yeah, of course. So you said Wick Beacon is the name of the hill from the summit of which there are magnificent, far-reaching views across the surrounding countryside from the burial barrow at the very highest point. Uh, A narrow country lane leaves nearby A424 and crosses the Beacon's flank just below the summit, and it is in this small unnamed road that we're interested in. So I'm not going to read the the next couple of lines because that tells you what what you've, um, you know, what it is that you... uh, have have heard um we'll let people come back to you with the with um the information as you just said 
Um, Brilliant. So the book, as I said, is The Roadmap of British Ghosts, Volume 2, by uh, Ruth Roper Wild, our guest here today. Um, it is a fantastic read, just like all of her other books. Um, her other books are available on Amazon and all of your favourite bookstores. Um, her other books are The Ghosts of Marston Vale, uh, that was from 2017. The Almanac of British Ghosts, also from 2017. The Roadmap of, Map of British Ghosts of 2018, that's volume one now. Um, These Haunted Times, volume one from 2019. And These Haunted Times, volume two from 2020. So um, do please take a look at all of her work. Um, the information contained within is absolutely fantastic and like i said it's written in such a such a well um well-rounded um documented um way that um uh, you know a lot of these books just aren't to be honest with you um anything else you'd like to add to that ruth <laughs> just to chuckle a bit about when i wrote the roadmap of british ghosts the first one i I made the very foolish assumption that uh, that that would be the definitive work on those ghosts that haunt our roads and byways. Um, So it it never occurred to me to call it volume one because I never imagined there would be a volume two. And I have now learned my lesson (laughs) because Roadmap of British Ghosts volume two is actually bigger than Roadmap one. Yeah, yeah, it is. So. So much for me thinking I'd found them all the first time round. And I bet you've still got a load of stories that you didn't even include in this. Have you? Is that are you part way yeah. to volume three? Uh, yeah, I had to slim this one down. I had to take quite a few out um, because there, there's a tipping point between how many you cram in and how expensive the book gets to buy. Yeah. Because you know the pure cost of printing on that much paper, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and it was just going to be sort of prohibitively expensive if I let it get any bigger. So I had to be really brutal and take some out. So, yeah, it looks like there might be a volume three in the future. <laughs> well, <laughs> And I just want to say one thing. You've got quite a few stories in here, quite a thick book. But even if you're a person who thinks, oh, I just don't have time to read, um, the good thing about these stories in here are that some of them only are a half of a page. Some of them may be a couple. But you do have time to pick this up, read one or two, put it down, go do whatever you got to do, and then come back to it. It's not like you lose your space or you forget where, you know, what, what's been happening if you're reading like a novel, right? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really a good read. This is a, this is a great book for me because, as Bella will attest, I cannot read before I go to bed because, as a kid... Um, I my parents used to say to us, you can go to bed, you know, go to bed now, but I'll let you read for a while, um, because it was it was you know ready to get us away from the TV, you know, and and get us up to bed and start relaxing. So from an early age, I have subconsciously associated reading with going to bed and sleeping, and so I find it really difficult now to to get through an entire book because. You know, I'll be a couple of pages into a chapter and that's it. I'm out like a light. But yeah, you're absolutely right. This, I can get through a couple of stories and, and you know, actually make headway on, on the book. So it's, it's a great coffee table book, I've often said mm. as well, because, you know, you can sit down in the morning with your cup of coffee. You can have a quick read of a couple of stories and then crack on with your day. 
Um, it's amazing. Really, really um, credit to you, Ruth. Oh, thank you, guys. Well, um, stick with us, Ruth, because you can uh, say your goodbyes with us in a second. Just wanted to uh, let you guys know of a new podcast that's out. I know that we're not doing ours, uh, you know, now on a regular basis. We, we may do specials like we're doing now occasionally. Um, but there is a new podcast that has been um, started by a friend of ours. In fact, a lady that we've had on the show, Michelle Eve. She has started a new podcast, which is the Mystical Times blog podcast. Uh, I watched it on uh, YouTube the other day. Um, it's really good. She's actually got photos of the places that she's talking about um, actually on the podcast as well. And uh, actually, it, it's produced really, really well. And Michelle, again, she's a great writer. Um, you know, she's a lot of experience from doing that with her blog. And her blog is very popular with people. So do have a look at that and, and maybe follow that. And uh, maybe drop her a comment and tell us, tell her that we sent you. That would be absolutely amazing if you could do that. So that's the Mystical Times blog podcast, and that's by Michelle Eve. Thank you guys for uh, listening um, to our show. Uh, we appreciate if you did come back to uh, listen to this special because, uh, as I said, we're not doing it regularly. Uh, we, I will put it out on social media and let people know that um, we've done this. Um, so if you uh, are listening to this because you're a subscriber or you listen to this because you follow us still on um, on our social media channels, then please continue to do so because that's how you're going to find out about any more specials that we may do in the future. But thank you for spending your time with us. We really appreciate it. Um, and Ruth, once again, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it's just been great to be with you guys again. And I'm sure everybody's going to love hearing you back on the airwaves. You've been sorely missed. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I, I don't miss him. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, you have to put up with him every day. <laughs> well, I, I, do you know what? When, when we were when we were talking earlier, just before we say goodbye properly, uh, when we were talking earlier about the fact that some people see paranormal um, stuff and you know other people don't, um, Bella gave me a little nudge um, and sort of said, you know, is the washing up paranormal? Because apparently I tend to not see the washing up when it needs to be done. So, um, so, uh, you know, we've got these little paranormal untidiness around the house yeah. that I just seem to miss. I don't know what it is. Fancy that. <laughs> All we need is a ghost of a cleaner. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> anyway, thanks a lot, Ruth. Thanks guys. Thanks a lot. All the best. Bye. Bye Ruth. Thanks for Bye. your time. <laughs>